Welcome to the Wags of SCI podcast, where we discuss all things life, love, and caregiving after spinal cord injury, hosted by Elena Polly and Brooke Paget. Our partner's spinal cord injuries are what brought us together, and our common bond as caregivers to quadriplegics is what helped us to create the advocacy group, WAGS of SCI, which is an acronym for Wives and Girlfriends of Spinal Cord Injury. We know firsthand the challenges this lifestyle presents, and our mission is to spread awareness and positivity from our unique perspective. So join us each week as we discuss fresh topics and new ideas surrounding relationships, self-care, and living your best life as a caregiver and partner to someone with a serious injury. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Wanks of SEI podcast. Here we go. The episode you're about to enjoy is brought to you by Anchor Medical Supplies. This company is very special to us as it is owned and operated by a quadriplegic. His name is Paul and his WAG of SCI, Jessica. They have been married for 22 years and they strive to provide the best service in the industry for catheters and ostomy products. Anchor Medical Supplies is based in Georgia, but work with nationwide Medicare, Medicaid, and many private insurance companies, including Blue Cross and TRICARE. They work with your doctor's office to get prescriptions organized and they bill insurance directly. They ship discreetly to your door without any hassles. They are passionate about advocating for those with disabilities, and most of their staff are individuals that have been affected by paralysis themselves. Their personalized services include monthly check-ins, expert advice, and customized products. This makes them a company you can really rely on and trust. They know the SCI life, and they understand how important peer support can be. If you aren't sure you want to change providers, subscribe to their monthly newsletter. Jessica curates the latest SEI news, new products, and advice so you can stay informed and connected. Just go to their website, anchormedsupplies.com, and fill out the easy form. Give Jessica and Paul a call today at 1-833-667-8669, or you can visit their website at anchormedsupplies.com and tell them the ways of SEI sent you. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Wags of SCI podcast. We're back again with another exciting special guest. And this woman we met so naturally through, through I guess, Wags of SCI and being guests on a podcast ourselves with Maureen McGrath. Who is she, Brooke? Yeah. So, Kindy, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, her name is Kindy Gill, and she is a health and wellness catalyst, a family transformation coach, and a professional speaker. Kindy was a former CEO of a private company, um, and she was responsible for 3,000 people in the UK. She also has 30 years experience in leadership and change management and 12 years experience with the Dalian School of Health and Consciousness, which we're going to get into later in the podcast. Um, Kindy actually educates on unconscious bias and the implications of the associated implicit reactions, judgments, and perceptions that we hold. She teaches how to quickly and permanently overcome bodily memories of trauma, grief, conflict, and stress that are created by old sabotaging beliefs and conditionings, which in turn inform our implicit reactions. She also offers practical how-to help to eliminate the underlying pain, fears, and anxieties that disable our lives using the Dalian method. 
Her ultimate objective is to increase self-awareness and achieve life-changing behavioral resilience, psychological wellness, and improve relationships and collaborations through heightened consciousness. We are super, super excited to have you. You're speaking our language. Um, We are both just proponents of self-awareness and just being the best versions of yourself. And, you know, although we're both on different journeys, we are so excited to talk to you about your journey. So thank you for joining us. Oh, thank you, Brooke. Thank you, Elena. I'm really, really happy to be here, actually. There's many podcasts I get invited to, but this particular one is very, very important to me. Amazing. Well, thank you for saying that. We're super pumped about that too. Yeah. I mean, I remember Elena and I, when we um, were on a radio show locally, and actually we have an, a podcast with Maureen McGrath. It's all about sex and bladder post-spinal cord injury, but we were actually on her show, which is the Sunday night sex show in, here in Vancouver, where we're from. And I remember that night, I remember Elena and I were sitting there and, you know, there were two other guests besides us. And, you know, Elena and I were listening to you talk and we just kept looking at each other like, oh, Every time you said something that we could totally relate to, we're like, oh, my God, afterwards, we're like, we have to have her on our podcast because there's so much that we could relate to, you know, as as caregivers and women that are going through a lot and who may have experienced trauma, especially around the injury of their partner and just, you know, different belief systems that need to be overcome in our in our in our lives. And I think collectively, all of us need a lot of mindful work and a lot of effort put into changing our own consciousness and making ourselves the best version of ourselves that we can be. And that's why we're really excited to have you on. Yeah, that's the ironic part, right? Like we have these beautiful bodies, we're wandering around on this earth and we're having a great time or supposedly supposed to be having a great time as a human being. But we're about the only species on the planet that doesn't come in its sort of, as you've put it, best version of itself. We're the only sort of evolving species that um, is like a work in progress. And so, you know, it's inevitable that really our journey or our years on this planet are going to be about our evolution not Mm -hmm. so much about the fact that we've mastered everything and then because we've mastered everything now we can go about living the life we Mm -hmm. were meant to live Mm -hmm. it's going to be a journey right Mm -hmm. and and that's why in some ways meeting you two ladies put a really broad smile on my face and healed a little part of my heart too Mm -hmm. because my journey originally began when it came to this type of soul searching with my own sister's car accident in which she became paralyzed. And that was a huge, huge turning point for me. And it uh, brought me closer to emotions and experiences I had never, ever, ever even grasped were possible. The depth of grief that I felt over what had happened to her, the... um, inability to be able to control my emotions in a way that um in a way I actually sort of judged myself as being a tiny bit weak because in that role as the chief executive responsible for 3,000 people really my role was about holding it together being the guardian and the steward for leading other people's lives helping to set plans that everybody could work toward. So I was a very, very logical person Mm. and sort of 
a sort of a sort of I won't say a man because we have male traits and female traits in everybody but mm-hmm. there was a lot a lot about me that was very action based a lot about me was very goal based a lot about me was very much about the ladder the career ladder progression and it was that type of evolution that I was really after and when it came to my sister's car accident literally I too was brought to my own knees and the emotional overwhelm was excruciatingly painful and I had never come across anything quite like it Elena and Brooke where you know the vulnerability that I felt was so mm-hmm. intense and I initially I just wanted a solution that could sort of fix the problem mm. that could that could resolve it in a way where I would feel like okay it's boxed up now it's been contained it's been fixed and I don't I didn't even want to hear the doctor say she will never walk again because to me that felt like um it was like it, it was putting closure to something and my whole way of being had always been about if there's a problem you can fix it if there's mm-hmm. a problem you can solve it if there's a pro- problem there's an answer right and this was yeah. my first time of accepting ah i don't have control over the outcome of this and it was a very very humbling experience alongside it being the most emotional thing that i've been through mm. Wow, thank you for sharing that. I mean, yeah, you're totally right. There that is a very good point about being the fixer and having that role within your family where you are the fixer. And a lot of the time like parents will say things like that when they see their children being injured, especially like the fathers, right? With in, within the family unit and what do you do when you can't and you kind of almost have to surrender yourself to what is happening in that moment and almost say, you know, stepping back and allowing something else to take over. And That's right. Uh, and that can be, I mean, that in itself is a huge growing learning process. You know, we're, we're not always, especially with our life and how fast paced life can be. We, we can't usually just kind of sit back and just kind of, you know, surrender to a higher power to help you out in what you need to do. What happens is, is it's the process for us to actually start learning what's involved. And I remember some of the early counseling um counseling calls or advice that my sister was getting and she was hearing that it typically takes about seven years for a person with spinal cord injuries to get to full acceptance Mm -hmm. and even and even hearing that statement at that time so this accident happened 15 years ago it was actually on the 20th 25th of may and uh, in 25th of may 2020 it was 15 years this year and I remember at the time thinking, oh, my God, seven years. That's like like eternity before she's ever going to get to full acceptance. And that added to my grief the sense of self-pity I was experiencing on her behalf, the sense of watching what was unfolding for her and this daily reminder of the life that had been taken away. But now, now with the maturity of the work that I've done, particularly with the Dalian method, which I'm sure we're going to come to later in this conversation, I've, I have a much better grasp of why these words like surrender sound so easy, but there's an adjustment that has to take place mm-hmm. so that the heart can catch up 
with what the mind now knows about the new reality. And because the heart has to catch up with that new reality, it is a process. It can't be done at the snap of a finger. And it and it, there are certain nuances that we have to experience before eventually there is that final let go and that capacity to surrender to what has unfolded and a new emergence, but that's still not the end, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so I have a much better respect because I've seen the emotional roller coaster in my own body. And it's now not so much about being logical. It's much more about the flow of what my heart is trying to say. And when the heart is screaming in the way that it does, there are many, many things that it is screaming about that look like they're related to the car accident or the paralysis in this case, as it was for my sister, but actually they're much deeper. (laughs) They go back to other things that you just don't, that you just don't know is there. And a lot of it has been buried a long, long time ago, Mm -hmm. but those other things can be related to your childhood. They can be related to your experiences when you were in your mother's womb so that they're actually about the psychology that your mother was experiencing as she was carrying you. And and then she in turn has been imprinted by all the psychology that came from her parents too. So it's, it includes generational aspects. So this idea of being able to master what your heart is saying and what it's crying over or getting angry over is extremely complex because it's not just about the life you have led. It is multiple layers of lives that many generations prior to us have led. And further, like proof that, I mean, I like to say proof because I feel like you know, we live in a society that's very three dimensional, that's very like, we see what is in front of us. And that's real. And I I think that people don't put enough emphasis on, you know, it's not one size fit all for for healing. It's not one answer, one band aid to put on a wound, and then you'll be better. I think, you know, we live in a generation that's very instant gratification still. And I think we're moving out of that slowly, especially after quarantine. I just, I see things changing so fast in the world and with people that I know. And it's just, it's so positive and amazing, the change that's happening. But I feel like uh, millennials, especially, especially younger people, they're just not capable of seeing uh, what happens to your mind and your body when you dig a little deeper into your own life and existence and what happens. And I, yeah, I just, I feel like it's your, your method is so relevant to today because, you know, when you say going through the heart, um, I don't think people really understand what that means. And what does that mean to you when you say, you know, focus on the heart and get to the heart? And, you know, there's a lot of like light workers and energy workers in the world that deal with, you know, go with your heart, go with your gut. Um, oh. All these meditations, like the Chopra Center, they'll have, you know, focus on your heart. And then you mention it. So what does focusing on the heart mean to you? 
Okay, well, that's a great question because it helps to clarify yeah. the point the point that I was making. So first of all, I do not ever say focus on the heart in the sense of that there's an intention to be in that space. What I was referring to in what I was explaining earlier is that when we find ourselves in a situation that can be described as being unpleasant because it destabilizes us, but for sure is arising. For example, um, you find yourself triggered by something that's just happened around you and suddenly you're in mass overwhelm of tears, right? Mm -hmm. So where is that? where has that emotion come from? That Those tears are coming from some thought that's just arisen in your head. But that thought, too, has an origin, which you, we typically do not ever know that it has an origin. Right. And, and, but yet we're very capable of experiencing the fact that we're now in overwhelm and we're in tears. Now, when I say about our heart, what I'm saying is that if there are tears flowing, what that means is that your heart somewhere knows that something's not right. If you are angry and you're really upset at a situation around you, again, we wouldn't associate that to mean that somewhere in your heart, you know, something's not right. So the first point that I'm really making is that every emotional state that we experience, say it is anxiety and suddenly there's palpitations that we're experiencing those palpitations are coming from the belly area normally, and then you might have clammy hands or you might even have a trembling body. Those are all bodily sensations, but they are arising again because our heart is saying something's not right, right? Right. Whereas, whereas our logical head may look at something and say, Okay, so I'm going to be talking to Elena and Brooke today and I'm going to be on a podcast and this conversation is about a topic I've always had before and that's going to be very easy to manage. The logical head may say that, but there may be experiences in this moment as we're talking to one another or even as some of our audience members are hearing us that some degree of emotion will be arising in them. And that emotion is coming from somewhere other than the logical head. It's coming from your physical body and it's being processed through your heart. Mm -hmm. And you know what, Candy, what you were saying earlier about um, how we, you know, the generational trauma that if, if that isn't dealt with, that your body holds on to that. And then, you know, kind of what, what we were talking about before is new trauma brings up old trauma, especially things that are not healed or dealt with previously. Exactly. Um, that is, those were statements that you actually said on the podcast that we met you on. And that, I think that's what Brooke was referring to before you were talking about like these predisposed, um, you know, characteristics that we hold on to with that, that accompany through the family origins. And both Brooke and I kind of looked at each other and were like, holy smokes like we were totally loving it <laughs> and 
And I think it's so important to realize that, especially in our community and with so many women um, being a part of WAGS, you know, they, they experience SCI and it's really quick onset trauma. And then you kind of go through the motions of being, um, you know, you're overwhelmed with everything. So you go through shock. And then as time goes on, you're starting to to have these emotions coming out of your body, like you were saying, your heart and the tears and the overwhelm. Mm. And then, and then women will sometimes look at it and be like, wow, you know, and like you said, it's not just SCI. A lot of people say, well, you've gone through a lot. You've gone through a spinal cord injury. It's so traumatic with your partner. But the truth is, is that this new trauma brings up things that are so, so deep, so, so deeply rooted from a very long time ago. And I would love for you to speak more about that. Exactly, because this is this is a little bit like, you know, how Brooks just mentioned the the quarantine and the coronavirus and us being, you know, uh, at home, too. So mm-hmm. if we look if we look at situations, um, be it a spinal cord injury or be it that you're actually um, having to be at home and you don't want to be right. Mm hmm. A lot of people will refer to an episode in their life that doesn't look like love, joy, happiness, um, dancing around and um, and laughing, right? They'll, they'll refer to a lot of those experiences as being adverse because it's a calamity, it's a challenge, it's an obstacle, it's something that you really would never have wanted in your wildest dreams. Neither you as partners to the people that are injured and nor any of the people that are injured would really have said that on their bucket list they were asking for a spinal cord injury. (laughs) Right. Right? Yeah, exactly. And we always say spinal cord injury does not discriminate and it can truly happen to anybody. Right, Kindy? Exactly. Now, this is the thing, right? When something adverse is happening to us or something adverse has happened with us that is going to last for a lifetime, what happens is immediately, because we are human beings that are work in progresses, right? Immediately, the human being that is in that situation will try to scramble to find some degree of solution to what's now been activated. And what's been activated is this mass wound that arises from inside. And this mass wound will take all shapes and forms, but it will have some degree of unstable emotions with it that will lead to some degree of shutdown I'm going to call it shutdown for a moment right okay so for me so for me when my sister's car accident happened I wasn't to know that within a year and a half well actually within six months I had shingles um and then after the shingles I then ended up with um depression I wouldn't have known that the consequences of that fight or flight response dealing with that new life circumstance was going to lead to those type of experiences, more adversities, more obstacles, right? Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. you know, my physical body is going through shingles and I'm not the one that's actually in the experience of the paralysis. Mm -hmm. I'm the one that is on the outside helping to address what's happening for her right right um and then so now this will look like more adversity and more upset but but what is really happening is that the body has brought up all these variety of memories 
that it is daily being re-traumatized by, like you've just said, Elena, so that so when every time I looked at my sister, I would remember that she was once walking. Every time I looked at her and they were hoisting her with um, uh, hoisting her out of the bed so that they could put her into the wheelchair, that took a, a, a lengthy process. But every time I saw that, I was still being reminded of the fact that she could once walk. We were actually preparing for a marathon at that point, and we were on the 16th, 16-mile training week, that particular week when she had her accident and she was going to be walking with me. Wow. And, so, and so, ironically, here we are preparing for a marathon, and I have two sisters, actually, this particular one and another one, and the three of us were supposed to be doing this walk together overnight, and so when it came to the walk, which was about five weeks later or six weeks later, my sister that um, was well said she can't walk if if Kippy couldn't walk. And my logic was, well, if Kippy can't walk, I'm going to have to walk for her. So wow. what was what was meant to be a walk with the three of us ended up a solo walk on my with my with my me and my head and my logic mm. that's now trying to walk for my sister. So I'm carrying the burden of that pain even during a 26 mile walk, right? And so what I'm trying to describe is a one episode that's arisen is now in my daily radar, right? And it's in my daily awareness that this experience has actually unfolded and it's resistance to what has unfolded that is part of the daily trauma, the resistance, right. the resistance to the fact that something's unfolded that I wouldn't have wanted or she wouldn't have wanted. Right. Mm -hmm. I'm really glad you brought up resistance and the body. And I feel yes. like, you know, it's so uh, people just in today's day and age, you know, there's start, there's more people that are starting to recognize how much the body and emotions play off of each other, but it's mm -hmm. still not fully accepted. And I was talking, yes. I was having a conversation with my mom the other day, just about this. And she's an energy practitioner as well. And she was talking about how, you know, we're so focused on Western medicine and we are relating it to the coronavirus yes. and how there was like a new drug that came out, um, that was, a a lung immunosuppressant drug that was starting to help patients that were vent dependent uh -huh. and pretty much on their deathbed. And we were talking about that drug and how, you know, we were both saying it's such a shame because we wish there was a line of Western medicine that had to do with emotions and trauma and what that happens to the body because of that. Like almost like That's a combination right. of like Western medicine and emotional medicine and psychology, you know, because exactly. when you go to medical school, you pick your specialty, you know, you can be a cardiac surgeon, you could be a whole host of other things a specialist right you know a hormone specialist mm -hmm. but there's not really anything as far as I know that is accepted as far as tying emotions into the physical body and what that can do because my mom believes that everything that happens to you physically is based on emotions and regardless of what you believe 
I feel like this is so important because a lot of us as caregivers, we start to experience physical pains and things that go wrong with us after the trauma happens or after we've suppressed something for so long and we don't deal with it and it starts to come up physically. And then Western medicine or whatever medicine you want to go to, of course, you have to check yourself out, see if anything's wrong. But a lot of the times they can't find anything. And so they put you on a drug for depression or anxiety. And the cycle starts again where you're just ignoring what your body's trying to tell you. So exactly. Right. And Brooke, what is amazing, what is amazing about what you've just shared there is that ability to ask the question. Right. Mm -hmm. So we're pro there's there's programming that's taking place at every level. So that's happening at the um, who's got a dog that's having fun here. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Charles. Um, There's programming that's taking place at a societal level. And so at a societal level, there are ideas that we're given. Mm-hmm. For example, that if we're sick, we go to a doctor, a Western doctor, right? So the masses will follow that automatically. And we won't necessarily go to a doctor and then question, hmm, I had a pain and I've got this issue going on, but actually it isn't going away. Or I'm being asked to take this prescription for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. Why do I have to take this for the rest of my life? Mm -hmm. Because when I was born, surely I wasn't born so that I would have to be dependent on an outside prescription, right? But those of us that start asking these questions begin to start getting the education that really everybody deserves, and should be part of the school system, but isn't at this stage. And I hope one day it mm-hmm. will be part of the school system. So that when we then come to asking the question that says, okay, I'm not getting any better. So when I was much, much younger, um, as a child, I'm, I'm um, Punjabi speaking by birth. And then I learned English when I first went to school at age five. And so at home, we only spoke Punjabi and my mum and dad didn't um, have much uh, language around the English language, even though we lived in England, that's where I was born. And so often I was the interpreter for my mum's ailments. So, or I was the interpreter for whatever would happen with the the family at large. Mm -hmm. So I'd find myself at a hospital with my brother's injury and he's, you know, I'm only six or seven years old and he's being stitched up because he's, you know, got a massive gash on his forehead. Or I'm at the gynecologist appointment and I'm only eight years old and I'm trying to explain to my mum something to do with fallopian tubes and I've got no idea what's really being said, but I'm trying to translate this back into Punjabi. Mm -hmm. So as a child, I watched myself and my mom go in and out of appointments and she would persistently still have the issues in her physical body. Mm -hmm. However, none of the appointments were solving anything. And so I started to become a person that would look for solutions, going back to that misfixit idea, right? And so I would Google and I would try to put information about, you know, her leg size and this and that and the other, and I wonder what else is going on, or the fact that some that she's, you know, gaining a lot of weight and there's mm-hmm. nothing that dieting is helping. And I would find, oh, 
it could be hypothyroidism. So then mm-hmm. I take her back to the doctors and say, you know, do you think she could have hypothyroidism? Do you know, think that could that be tested? And then they'd put her on the medication for the rest of her life that she's got an underactive thyroid, mm-hmm. right? right. Um, or we had all I self-diagnosed or got through Google, et cetera, that she probably had lipidemia. And then, yes, decades later, that's what was confirmed. Mm-hmm. So now the point is there was every time she was going to the hospital, I was asking questions. Oh, we're not getting an answer. <laughs> we're not getting a solution. We're not even if we get a label to a problem, we're still not getting a solution to resolving this problem. And the physical body is still screaming and complaining and, and arguing about something. And so what that did was it opened up my interest in um, aromatherapy. It opened up my interest in homeopathy. It opened up my interest in acupuncture. It opened up my interest in cranial sacral therapy. It opened up my energy, my interest in Reiki. It opened, and what happened was over the decades that followed, I started to explore a lot more about the alternative way of healing trying to understand why prescriptive medicines don't always give you the solution, even though sometimes in a crisis management point of view, they're the only thing you can take and the essential thing to do. Mm-hmm. I, started, I started to explore. And for me, Brooke, one day when I was learning Reiki and I was able to feel the energy change through my hands and put it to a part of my body and find that part of my body healing, Mm. I was blown away, like as if something miraculous had just unfolded in front of me. It's like that moment when you're, everyone has that moment when they start to move from like, is this it? Or is there more where it's just like, you have that, that moment when you're just like, holy crap, this is real, this, this, this feeling, because, you know, we're all energy, we're all connected. And when you really feel that in a way that blows your mind, it's like nothing else. Exactly. And so what happens is when you just mentioned your mom, and you said, she believes in energy medicine. It's not just it's not just believing in energy medicine, she knows that it works. Right. Well, she's a she's a medical intuitive. She's a um, she started out. It's so funny that you mentioned that story about how you kind of got interested through Reiki and essential oils. That was very, very similar to her, except the catalyst for her was when I was three years old. I I was born with a crazy amount of black hair Uh and my hair was so long and curly and whatever growing so well. And then when I was three, all of my Uh hair fell out. Mm-hmm. And my mom took me to every doctor under the sun and right. no one had a solution. They said, Oh, yeah. maybe she has this. Maybe she has that. Maybe she has allergies. I got every test possible. And yeah. that led her to a naturopath practitioner. And that's how mm-hmm. she kind of got into that. It was through her kids, through her kids having right. a lot of allergies that were, it turns out they weren't actually allergies. They were right. deeply in, in embedded emotional traumas that she's now figured out 30 plus years later on her journey. And yeah. so, you know, that's what she does. She, she practices energy medicine. It's on a medical level. So she knows the body so well, her training is in, um, uh, traditional Chinese medicine. Um, right. and she went to school for, for seven years when we were younger, she went to China to train. She's very experienced, but she's kind of tied the two together. And right. so it's, it's funny. Like when you have that moment, her moment was she was in, um, 
a traditional, it was one of her first appointments with a Qigong master. Yep. And he moved the curtains with his hands from across the room. Of course. <laughs> and she saw that. And this was like when we were quite young, when she was just being yeah. exposed to all that. She saw that. And that was her moment. She was like, oh, my gosh, you know, we are so much more than dense exactly. physical matter. You know? Exactly. And, and, and our stories are obviously uh, going to keep um, having many, many similarities. So my daughter uh, lost a big portion of her long, dark hair <laughs> when she was 11 years old. Um, and I took her to every uh, practical uh, Western solution that I could find. And everybody kept telling me that she has alopecia, wow. that I have to just ex- that I have to just accept it. She's going to lose the rest of her lovely locks of hair. Um, and it, and by that page, but by that stage, um, Brooke, I, I was well, well locked into the alternative world um, uh, through my children and all the adversities that they had faced in their health and found solutions through other means. Right. Mm-hmm. And so that was the point at which I was actually introduced to UV light. Mm-hmm. And I managed to get hold of a UV light that was being used to help a horse in a veteran vet, vet, vet's place, a veterinarian place. And somebody managed to get me this industrial piece of equipment that was being used on this horse. Mm -hmm. And I then put a pair of sunglasses on at home and for one month used this UV light on my daughter's hair. And the entire patch started to grow back again. And it was huge. It was probably about eight inches long and about four inches wide across her scalp. And her entire hair came back. Was that, came back. was that a vitamin D light, like a, a, a LED kind of thing? Treatment? Actually, uh, I said, essentially it's the sunlight, yeah. right? So yeah. it had vitamin, it, it had vitamin D, but the follicles that had been damaged were then being sent messages to c- come back to growth again. Yeah. Interesting. Um, and so, and so like your mother, you know, I went through so many things. My son couldn't see out of one eye. We managed wow. to get his both his vision perfectly correct. Uh, we used cranial sacral therapy for him when it came to his digestion issues. There were problems with his skin, with with um, eczema, um, and that was all healed through the aromatherapy. He then had issues with asthma. Um, and they were healed through lots of um, breathing exercises. And that is when, you know, the Dalian method came in much later in my life, um, which was about 12 years ago. And then with the Dalian method, what started to happen was every suppressed thought and connected emotion, which is where we started this conversation with today, and the emotion mm-hmm. itself always has some long history that we've already described that could be something to do with our life or it could be something to do with uh, genetics or it could be something to do with our generational existence and grandparents, et cetera, prior to that. So what the Dalian method does, it takes it takes all of that and it releases the suppressed thoughts and emotions that are trapped in the body so that the body can heal by itself through the power of consciousness. And when the body heals itself, these so-called ideas that the Western medicine says cannot be healed begin to get corrected. So my husband had cancer and he suffered from uh, colon cancer in 2012. And then he had liver cancer 
in 2014. And by the time he had liver cancer in 2014, really the prognosis wasn't very good. One, because uh, the two cancers had happened one after the other so rapidly. Mm-hmm. And it, it came down to a combination of the Western surgeons cutting mm-hmm. the right amount of organ out of his body, with which, was, uh, um, which had the cancer cells in it. Um, so... Yes, we used the Western medicine. Yeah. We then used, we used traditional medicine. So we went to the Chinese doctor and we used um, various points, acupuncture points. We used various Chinese herbs. We used various oxygenation ideas with um, um, uh, others. We went to the naturopath doctor. He had his IVs, his vitamin C, his his, uh, various complexes being put into his body to help with all the nausea, with all what was happening with the Western treatment. And then on top of that, he also had use of the Dalian method directly with Madara Eliza Dalian, who's the creator of it, so that the suppressed emotions and the suppressed thoughts that had created the cancer, they could also be addressed Mm -hmm. so that his body could get to a stage where uh, it would turn off its ability to recreate the cancer. And so this also had genetic aspects to to it too because his grandmother had had colon cancer too. And so there were hereditary habits and hereditary uh, ways of behaving that had been passed on to him that were contributing to what was suppressed in the body that was then helping to create that disease, right? Wow. So, Kindy, if we kind of jump into, let's kind of switch things up just a tiny bit. When we're talking to other women whose partners, you know, and Brooke, you know this, there's like you were saying about Western medicine, you know, the SCI happens and there are also very many secondary conditions that come along with a spinal cord injury. Anything Mm -hmm. from, you know, anything from... Uh, UTIs, anything from AD, which is um, uh-huh. autonomic dysreflexia. And then what, what the doctors typically tend to do is that, like, once again, that Band-Aid method where they, they'll fill up a whole prescription pad for you and send you home with it. Uh-huh. And a lot of the time that, like we were all saying, that is just a quick fix. And yes, we're not saying you shouldn't take your medicine because we are not doctors, but but yes, take your medicine, but also kind of get back into the deep-rooted what is actually happening here that so if you had any advice for women trying to support their partners what would it be how like what is your advice to helping women who whose partners you know they have all these other conditions and they're in so much pain and the women are there beside them again trying to help them but sometimes taking on a lot more responsibility for their feelings for how they're feeling and and how they're coping and and everything that has just happened to them what would your advice be do you have anything for for supporting their partner (laughs) yeah absolutely the first thing i would say is that word responsibility right Mm -hmm. yeah so so when you're a partner and it's a little bit like being a mother of children etc right Often what happens is you think you have the responsibility for this other being that's in your life. But when it comes to a marriage or it comes to a partnership with a companion, what happens is you've actually now got two adults facing each other with their long history of their genetic imprints and their suppressed emotions and all this stuff that's been going on in their in their lineage that is actually part and parcel of the behavior that's being adopted by the two people, right? 
So if a partner is willing, it's really essential to hear this. If the partner is willing to take responsibility for their full health, that openness is a window for suggestions to be made. But when a partner is not willing and is not interested, any advice that comes forward, Elena, can actually be the source of yet more trauma and more conflict and more upset. Because, right. because the lack of willingness on the person's part could be that they're actually really, really scared right. of, of, of the exploration. Because let's face it, if your life has come to a grinding change overnight within minutes to the extent that a spinal cord injury does bring upon you, what will happen is there's going to be a lot more terror and fear about life itself now because the relationship between that person and the unknown has shifted in such a way that the unknown suggests that it will bring something catastrophic and very tough for them. Right. 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 And so, something that will happen again, that's going to be just exactly, as bad and just exactly, as painful. Exactly. Especially when you, especially when you go through like a really deep trauma or like a spinal cord injury or any kind of exactly. medical trauma, it, it usually kind of flips you, you know, on your back. Yeah. You, don't, you really don't expect it. So that in itself, that shock can kind of be very paralyzing. You understand so this. It's literally. That's right. So that literally yeah so mm -hmm. that look at that sensitivity so what is happening there is the relationship this person has with the future is coming from a place of immense immense fear immense fear right so right. then when we bring in solutions what we're doing is we're actually activating that wound that is saying i'm really frightened about the future And you might be trying to be proactive from your space, but not being sensitive enough to understand that the other person's space, if they're not willing, is coming from a lot of fear. So this is my first advice. If somebody is willing, yes, have the conversations about the tools that can be used to help with the suppressed emotions. If somebody is not willing, then the conversation needs to actually happen around being scared about the future and, and that opens having, up a whole other can of worms <laughs> i was just gonna say that like, oh dear god <laughs> right because the conversation has to start with where a person is at right now this is very important to hear when it comes to women that are supporting men and i don't like to generalize because in every human body there are masculine traits and there are feminine traits because we're a byproduct of our mother and our father yes so I'm not going to generalize, but having said I'm not going to generalize, but there still are some tendencies that we have, mm -hmm. either as women or as men, right? Right. So when you're, when you're a woman, a woman has a huge, huge monumental need for emotional safety and emotional connection. Let's put this episode on a momentary pause because we want to introduce all of you to another one of our amazing sponsors, Wishart Brain and Spine Law. Led by our personal mentor and lawyer, Robin Wishart, Wishart Brain and Spine Law is a uniquely specialized law firm located in Vancouver, British Columbia. They focus their practice 
on complex spinal cord injury and traumatic brain injury cases and work with clients all over North America as advocates and a much needed resource for the SEI community. Robin and her team look at their clients differently than other firms. You are not just a case. You're a person with a family, a life, and a purpose. Robin and her team are always looking for ways that they can help rebuild the best life possible for their clients by finding them support they need for their recovery, such as assisting with paperwork and benefits paperwork, finding resources for home adaptations, setting up medical appointments with doctors and specialists, making sure that her clients are doing okay physically and mentally. Wishart Brain and Spine Law is proud to support WEGS of SCI. Robin is committed to helping clients and their families any way she can because she wants you to live a life and not your claim. Your first consultation is always free. So contact them at brainandspinelaw.com and make sure you mention the WAGs of SCI. So I know in our community, Kendi, there are a lot of women that experience partners with control issues. Um, and control is a big thing in, in the life of, of our partnerships post-SCI. And I feel like some men and some women who have spinal cord injuries, they feel the need to control everything around them, their surroundings, the people in their lives, because it makes them feel safer. And uh-huh. it impacts nearly every aspect of your relationship because control can come out in so many different ways. They can control you. They can annoy you with how much they're demanding. And it's just like, based on what you were saying before, it has a lot to do with being fearful. Exactly. Because what's happening, Brooke, is first of all, you've got to understand what's happened to the size of the world that a spinal cord injury person is living in, yeah. right? We call so it the paralysis if, bubble. Yeah, because what's happened now is that where you had access to the entire world, right, and you could freely move to whichever direction you wanted to get out of a room, go off somewhere, go for a walk, you know, the horizon was very large. Yeah. Um, suddenly that world has become confined to the wheelchair and what can be accessed through um, the arms if uh, parts of them are still working, etc. right? And so the span of life that a person can reach out to has suddenly become much, much smaller, right? Yeah, of course, the bubble. <laughs> The bubble, right? So now take, so you're talking about control. I remember when my sister first got sick, that she um, in hospital before we would leave would ask us to put the Vaseline in a certain place or she would ask us to put, you know, the cloth in a certain place or, yeah, or, her, yes. or her vitamin bottle in a certain place or whatever it was, right? And so everything had to be in its spot mm-hmm. because because it was about being able to reach that spot. Mm-hmm. And that's the what the logical head is saying. Yep. The logical head is saying, I need this in this place because if it's not here, I can't access it. Mm-hmm. And, and because I can't do it, I need you to control this area for me and have everything exactly as I need it, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So that's, that's coming from I think from that's logic. pretty common for in our community, though, in general, right? That's yeah. like every. Every quad wife who sits down, their partner is like, no, get back up. I need you to do this. Out of, again, just like having that control. Yeah. So that looks very logical to the person that's been injured because their needs now 
uh, are very different to the way that their needs were before, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, this is the yeah, thing. Totally. When, when I was referring to the fact that if you've had a spinal cord injury or something very tragic happen, your relationship with the unknown has become scarier. It's become it's become a world that's closed in on you and you're calling it the bubble. Yeah. Because it's become scarier, if I am unsure about what's going to unfold for me and if I'm not able to trust that everything I need is going to arise freely and as easily as I need it to, then what happens is the logical head says, now I'm in charge, I have to control all of this. Mm-hmm. Because the trust, the trust has gone. The trust in life itself has just wiped itself out if that is it existed prior to the injury, right? Yeah, of course, especially if you had like a more controlling personality before. We always say that when this injury happens to someone like that, it heightens that need to control even more. Exactly. Yeah, seriously. Well, it's also the because you've lost a lot of your physical control as it is, right? There, It's almost substituting for what you've also lost. It's, it's substituting for what you've lost, but really the psychology behind it is because you are now scared yes. of the unknown. You're scared. You're not feeling safe moment to moment in the way that you're living and the new adapted life that you have because you have proof, absolute proof, that the unknown can bring something very dangerous. Well, right? and look, well, and look at, you know, every guy that has gone through a spinal cord injury, you know, the fear that is a, around that injury and how it's in literally every molecule in your body now, that fear of being paralyzed, getting in an accident, the fear that you're not in control, that fear of your body is so used to being in control that it needs to get back there. And that's right. And But imagine like how much, like it's it fear is literally paralysis like like you can be that's why they have that thing of oh she was paralyzed with fear and you've heard those stories where someone is so scared of something happening to them that they just become paralyzed and they can't move think about the fear of of what has happened to you that has been ingrained in your body that is literally in your cells and every molecule of your body now that is fear and how hard that would be to release that. that and that's the solution there brooke yeah right yeah. Because if it, it is now in every molecule of your body, mm-hmm. even if you may not have been aware of its intensity prior to the accident, it's very much in your face now. And so that is where the solution lies. The solution with the Dalian method always lies in exactly what you're facing in that moment. Mm-hmm. And so you t- we tiptoe in. We tiptoe in with, with the method so that we begin to release the layers of the fear that are in the body and we start with some of the easy layers mm-hmm. like we, we we can even have fear of the fear itself brooke mm-hmm. so that's even, a good way of putting it candy the fear of the fear itself <laughs> exactly so now you have a conversation about the fact that somebody is afraid that will bring up even more fear because it will be absolutely guaranteed that the person will acknowledge somewhere inside yes I do feel afraid and so when we get angry we're covering up our fear when we are giving somebody daily instructions or minute by minute instructions we're covering up our fear when we do break down and we cry and there's grief 
we are actually still covering up the fear, right? So what can be done when Elena was asking earlier, like how can we help our partners with control or how can we help them with what's happening for them in this situation? You can't help anybody unless they're willing. But, but if they are willing, what has to happen is there has to be empathy that says this person's world is so much smaller than mine. So the intensity and the sensitivity of what they're experiencing now has heightened to a much, much bigger level than my own life. Mm-hmm. And, it's my, and it's my job to help them to trust the life that they're now in. Mm-hmm. But I can't force the trust on them. I can only help facilitate their capacity to trust the life that they are now in. Because, you know, for some, it will be the fear that you girls are going to disappear. And that's right? a big one. That's a really big one in our community, right, Brooke? Exactly, right? Because it's no longer just as straightforward as I'm in this situation and I deserve a loving partner it will become very complex. It will become, I'm not being able to give as much and I'm not actually worthy of the partner that she really deserves. And and why should she even be with me? And, and what if happens if she does go? And there'll be all sorts of other new fears that will be in that person's body, right? So yeah. the, Dalian method, the Dalian method comes in various forms. There's a, a longer version, which is like an adult version, 96-minute version. Then there's a 74-minute version. Then there's a 22-minute version for teenagers. And then there's a 14-minute version for children. Mm, interesting. And, and, and so for me, that is where I would begin with helping a person that wants to help themselves. I would begin with the child version mm-hmm. of the Dalian method so that the person who has been injured can begin to start releasing some of the suppressed emotions, but they're dealing with it in a childlike way, in a very, very small dose way, so that they feel incrementally safe in the process that they're going through, so that it doesn't bring up any deep, deep traumatic emotion that they themselves are now scared to even face. And that they're not even of- ready to deal with. Like a lot of these people, if, if, if too much work is forced on you right off the bat, especially when you're new to digging deep and how emotions cause pain and that it's all real, you know, once you expand your mind and realize that this is, this is real, this is happening, you know, it's a lot for a lot of people to take. And so I like what you said about starting with the child uh, program, because it's, it's interesting to me um, starting looking through life as a child. I feel like <laughs> I'm trying to go back there right now. As far as my personal yeah. journey, I'm trying, mm. I've been through so much, especially over the past few months that I am like, I want to live life like a child full of wonder, full of joy, mm-hmm. full of, full of, expectations that aren't there full of just kind of being in the only moment which is the present moment and so I I like what you're what what you said there about about going back to learning like a child and incorporating that into your practice I feel like that's very cool and a lot of time we're still operating from like our emotional state is like we have to nurture that child to be able to even move on to the next step right Mm -hmm. you kind of have to go back down to basics and like start from like where it all originated Mm -hmm. right Candy? 
Exactly. You always go back to the origin, which isn't complicated with the Dalian method because it finds the origin for you and it finds the lesson behind the experience for you. So you're able to, um, let's say, uh, you're able to humbly accept the life circumstances in a new way where there's a relaxed state and then there's the trust that grows inside you. But ultimately what the Dalian method does, Brooke, is it takes you back to your innocence, mm. your childlike your childlike awe it I takes you back that it takes you back to your miraculous nature of what life is all about and how you are able to relate with life in that sense of vibrance mm -hmm. but you see if you're in a wheelchair this is another thing that needs to be understood right mm -hmm. so that element of adversity can be seen in a different light mm -hmm. If you've had a tragic thing happen and you've had a traumatic experience happen, paradoxically, that actually means that that heightened suffering you're now going through is a window through which your liberation is going to arise. Mm -hmm. So paradoxically, you become readier and closer to finding that awe, that miraculous nature, that innocence, that zest for life and that passion for life, mm -hmm. you're actually closer to coming back to that connection mm -hmm. because you're that much deeper into suffering. And because you're that much deeper into suffering, the willingness does arise at some point to be able to say, I want to have an easier life in this way, in the way that I'm now living. Right. Yeah. And I want I want to make the best of every moment because I don't know how many more moments I'm going to get. I want to have the best relationship possible because I don't know what else is still around the corner for me. So actually, the person paradoxically is being brought closer and closer into the present moment and closer and closer into the moment of the now so that they can live their life in the short term in the best way possible. So it, it changes your perspective so that you become, again, ready to embrace what life has to offer for you. And that is going to be very strange for people to hear that a challenge like this is paradoxically putting them closer to an evolution that is, is um, I, 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 I'm only going to call I mean, it, it's miraculous. Like that sense of feeling inside you of, of just that, liberated um uh relationship with yourself and that wholehearted relationship with yourself where you actually love every element of you mm. in every element of you right so it's not about acceptance mm. like we started at the beginning of this conversation accepting that we've been injured and then moving on maybe with that suppressed grief or self-pity or that anger or that upset or that overwhelm being part of your psyche forever it's about beyond acceptance is about reverence for your life. Yeah. Right? I, I mean, if you look at any of the like teachings by, you know, philosophers from ancient days and like any of the stoic philosophers, they all say pretty much the same thing. It's not just about acceptance. It's about loving every single 
scenario and every single thing that happens to you because that is an opportunity for personal growth. And I think it just takes some time for our partners to get there, but some takes years, some takes, you know, forever. Some may not even find that, but I feel like even just listening to this podcast now, I I feel like a lot of people would be able to resonate with this and say, you know, you only live once. You kind of have to get to a place where it's not just acceptance, but you love your current situation regardless of what, of, of, regardless of the bad things that happen and how you can grow from them. And it's so and important. This, yeah. And this is very hard to do with your mind. Yeah. It's very hard to say, I'm going to fall in love with my wheelchair and I'm mm. going to fall in love with this restricted life because it cannot happen that way. And it's no, completely right. un- unrealistic to ever assume it can be right yeah because we're programmed in so many different ways we're programmed and this kind of gets into like our next thing that we wanted to talk about we want to talk about like you know the male the the toxic male the typical toxic male especially for you know people that are under 45 years of age now how they've been raised as you know the male is the protector um the male is the carer the male is the breadwinner and how that kind of goes all out the window when you're dependent on your significant other, dependent on others to help you get through the day. And kind of that anger and that control and that resentment that comes from that of, quote, feeling like less of a man, all that kind of stuff. I know there's a lot of women in our community that deal with that and kind of having mm-hmm. to relearn that that toxic male, that that something that was taught to us by you know, previous generations of, oh, the male has to do this and the man has to be able to do this and he has to be able to protect the woman. It's so kind of like outdated, but it's so ingrained still in who our partners are as men. And that kind of has to like be relearned after spinal cord injury Mm -hmm. because it's just, it's their truth, but it's not the truth. It's not the only truth. It's a truth that we've been raised on and that a lot of our, our guys have been raised on. And like, what are your thoughts on that? Like kind of relearning um, how well, to be part, a partner without yeah. those it's associations. Part condi- it's part of the conditioning, right? Mm. So it's part of the conditioning. It's in your belief systems. It's part of your genetic imprint. So that, so therefore, first of all, you as women have to accept that that is actually in there inside them, right? Mm. Now, if they become willing to address the conditionings, it can't be done through your head. Mm-hmm. It can only be done through, through your physical body. Mm-hmm. And this is where the Dalian method is just a perfect, perfect, perfect tool to be able to do that. You, When you go into the source of the original conditioning, what happens is that there's an element inside us that is the, the all-pervading consciousness. Mm-hmm. And that comes forward with its knowing. Like it comes forward with its knowing and that knowing then floods the cells of your body mm-hmm. and that knowing then can't leave your body. So it erases, it erases the old conditioning and the new knowing then surfaces. Now there's something, and I said earlier, I didn't like to generalize. There's something that goes on with a male ego and a female ego that needs to be understood. With a male ego, it is typically very, very hard for it to drop its stubbornness and for it to drop its surrender for it to drop its egoic state so that it surrenders right because humbling and humility are something seen as weakness in the conditioning that a man has grown up with 
right? I, I like how you refer to it as it. I love yeah. that because it's not yeah. you. <laughs> it's not you. It's it. It's not it you. is. It's a, it, it's your right. ego is it. It's totally true. It's like something that you can look at and it's not you. It's not you. Uh, even though you might get to a point where you're so identified with it right. that you, that you think that is all of you. So right. there are, so there are certain traits like stubbornness that there are certain traits like anger, that there are certain traits that come with um, what you're referring to as a, as a sort of a toxic male understanding, right? Mm-hmm. And because humility is seen as weakness, what happens is that humility cannot come in because there's a connotation that says it is weak. And so all of that has to be dismantled. And so what the Dalian method does is it dismantles it inside your own body so that the programming that's telling you that I can't do something because it's weak just falls away, Brooke and Elena. It just falls away from your psyche. And instead, that capacity inside that nurtures your own state that comes from consciousness and not from the egoic's pain, what happens is that consciousness floods you and it begins to drive, the consciousness begins to drive your behavior, which is closer to your true nature. (laughs) And because that then begins to drive your behavior, automatically the relationships start improving Mm -hmm. and your behavior changes. Your behavior is capable of surrendering more so. Your Your behavior becomes more capable of understanding that if I'm not literally standing in my own two feet here, that there is a way to literally stand in my presence, in the wholesomeness of what I am beyond this physical body. Mm-hmm. And the connection to that surfaces with the Dalian method, layer by layer by layer by layer, as you keep peeling away what's getting in the way of you connecting with that nature. I really love that. Like the, you know, Candy, the couple of appointments that both Dan and I had with you, um, you know, I really love that both of us kind of walked in not knowing what we were going to expect. And, you know, after the conversations that we even had after our experience with you, we both said the same thing that we were saying things after doing the Dalian method experience with you, things that were coming out of our mouths that we never even thought were there. Exactly. That it's so deeply rooted in parts of your body that when you finally say those words, you know, like I looked at you a few times and I said, I don't know. I don't even know what I'm saying right now. Like, where is this coming from? And it's just so cool to be able to kind of, you know, you almost disconnect from your, what you believe is your truth, what you've been told your entire life is your truth, where actually it's other words that are really needing that attention, other feelings and emotions that are really needing that attention that you didn't even know were there. And that's the exciting part. It is all stuff you don't know is there. And that's why it's called part of the unconscious. So you don't know it's there. So imagine there's something there that's affecting your psychology and your behavior that's hurting you. And you get an opportunity to detox that. You get an opportunity to release that so that what you want to be can come forward. Mm -hmm. Like that's really the nice That's the simplest way to understand the Dalian method. It gives you an opportunity to detox all the pebbles that aren't serving you. But people will say these things, but how do you know what's Mm -hmm. not serving you? And I remember when Dan was doing the 
um, session because I actually used the child version with him. <laughs> right. Because, because he's in, in the wheelchair and that's where I wanted to begin. And there was a part of him at the beginning that was thinking that some of it was going to be a little bit too hard, right? Because, right. you know, there's there's only there's only part of the body that you can access and then believe breathing in the way that I asked him to breathe. His cognitive head was saying, I can't do this, right? But his physical body was able to do everything that was required and his physical body was able to hear the new messages so fundamentally and so clearly because consciousness is so powerful that everything we need is inside ourselves. It's not in a conversation that I'm having. It's not in a conversation you two girls are having with me. It's all inside us. And the opening up of that is what changes it all. So I remember with Elena, with, with you, when I said at the begin, at the end to you, how does it feel? And you said, oh, I can literally breathe now. They were right. your words. Yeah, right. I was I was experiencing a lot of discomfort going through the process with you. Like, remember, I looked at you and I said, "Oh my god, my body is like feeling really sore." Yeah, I was getting I was getting like fiery pains everywhere. Was, and you're like, "You're," you know, I thought I was turning bright red. I was going to combust, but <laughs> but it's all part of the process. And you know, the biggest message about that is it's really hard doing the work. So you, but you do have to put in the work if you're expecting a different. If you're expecting, you know, a different reaction and different change in, in the way that things are that are happening. And one of the things that I want to just quickly say is I hear a lot of the time, you know, my friends read all these fun spiritual books. And then they I, I can hear my friends kind of like using new lingo and stuff of, yeah. of like what everybody else is saying. And, and one of the biggest things that I hear all the time is um, speak your truth, know your truth. But after, especially after what I went through this process with you, I was like, I don't think people even know what that means. I don't think people know what their truth is. It's just something that, you know, it's like the new hip thing to say. And I feel like after this process that I went through with you, it's something that I haven't stopped thinking about because (laughs) as day and day goes on, I kind of have like almost like a new, you know, a little light bulb moment of like, "Ah, ah." (laughs) so you can see the work happening. You can see the process going on long after you leave the Dalai method with yourself. It's still working in you, in your body, in your, you know, your mind is making that connection. But so I thought that was really, really cool. I'm like, I don't, you know, I feel like I kind of know what, what is the truth here? That's the truth is like within you that you can only find by doing the really hard work. You, you can only find it inside you. And all of this language right. that we're using um, is actually somewhat dangerous because yeah. it, it kids you into thinking that you know something when you don't, because you've just made reference right. to the fact that you ended up releasing things you had no idea was in your body. You're also right. saying that you're making connections and light bulb moments are happening since. And you remember I said to you, actually, Elena, you need two months to integrate all of this. And you looked at me as if to say, well, normally a therapist would just call me back in again the next week or the week after, right? Right. And you're saying saying, two months? Like you don't want to see me again for two months? And I'm like, like, no, it's going to take two months for this to fully integrate and for you to really expand into what you saw. So that when you come to do another expression of the Dalian method, you'll go even deeper and expand even more so, right? So when we're having these conversations, all we're doing is, you know, we're we're pointing into a direction of saying, this is what's possible for you if you look. 
And when I'm sharing what I'm sharing, I'm sharing everything from experiences that I have had inside my own body. That's why I'm able to say that anger does this and uh, stubbornness comes from here. And then there is this aspect of, of uh, grief and what is underneath it. It's fear and control because I have been controlling in my life, because I have been stubborn in my life, because I've been very angry in my life, because I've been grief stricken and I've been very tearful and overwhelmed in my life. Everything I'm sharing about what's trapped inside us comes from me knowing me. And this is what is so important, is that every person, when they become willing to know themselves, that is where everything that you're wanting in terms of wisdom and everything else that's related to it comes into your life and the life actually becomes easier and it becomes improved to the point that I'll just walk into Maureen McGrath's radio show and Elena and Brooke are just standing there and, you know, because my journey started full circle with my sister's car accident, for me it was so healing the thought that I could talk to a community of people that have been injured in the same way as my sister had because it was the beginning of this journey and therefore it's so important to me that what I've found as the, the tools en route can be accessed by that community too, right? But did I go out of my way to say, well, I'm going to show up at this radio show and I'm really hoping no. that Elena and Brooke are going to be there. No, life did that for me because every piece just becomes easier and easier and easier and easier if we do the work, right? Yeah, but, but feel- if we don't do the work, there's something I just want to say here quickly. If we don't do the work, that is not room to judge yourself either mm-hmm. because it's really important to hear this very clearly. If you are suffering and you don't have the motivation to do anything about it, and more and more of your days become increased suffering with increased medications and increased symptoms and increased hospital stays and increased time when you're uh, attempting for other people outside of you to assist you to bring in solutions. What's happening is over that time lived, you're slowly, slowly, slowly beginning to understand a deep lesson about this idea that solutions come from outside you. Mm -hmm. And you're slowly beginning to learn a deep lesson about the fact that apparently the physical body only needs prescriptions and or otherwise to Mm -hmm. heal it, right? You're learning that lesson too. So it's fine. Where you're at is fine. But if you're inspired by the fact that there's something more you fancy doing, then jump on board because jumping on board this train, particularly of a train where you've got a practical tool that you can use even if you are bound to a wheelchair. Like Dan was able to do miracles in that session, right? Yes, yeah. Have you you seen any changes in him, Elena, that I asked him not to share with you directly? Yes, I I saw (laughs) I said to him one of the nights we were getting into bed and I and I kind of I'm a very 
observational person as it is. Um, I wouldn't say I'm a skeptic, but I just really, you know, I kind of like to see things for what they are. So I think it was two, no, maybe it was three, four days in and we were hopping into bed and I finally, I called him out on it. I was like, I know what your homework from kindy is. And he was like, what? I was like, <laughs> and, and uh, he was like, what is it? I was like, well, I don't know. So then I told him and he says, no, that's not what it is. I said, really? That's not what it is. And then he looked at me and he's like, how did you know? <laughs> so it was kind of cool to see like in a short amount of time that transition. And it's still something that's been um, actively kind of like between us and in, in our lives. It's just been a, it's been a big change in our lives which is really really good and really helpful because you never know sometimes you know you go see somebody and they give you advice and you never know how how long that person will hold on to that advice or whatnot so this is definitely different but this is not advice per se is it right no because no because the awareness has grown inside your own body you've seen where what the connections were in your conditioning and your thinking and what you were perceiving was going on and because right. you break the loop of something that you hadn't seen before your homework or the steps forward that you take are totally linked with what you've just learned and they're not based on me sitting here saying Brooke, I would like you to go out next week and start doing this. Because mm-hmm. if I ask you to go off next week and start doing X, whatever the X might be, because your body hasn't caught up with the fact as to why you should or what's the relevance behind it or what you're going to gain out of it or, or what is holding you back, there'll be nothing motivating you to act on my words. Mm-hmm. And even if you do, more resistance will come up because the fear in your body and the beliefs in your body will stop you from following my advice. Mm-hmm. So this is the beauty with the Dalian method is there's no such thing as advice. Right. It is your own awareness that wakes up. It's your own consciousness that gives you the clue to your next step. And it is that that you act upon so that you consolidate it and your new behavior becomes lived and possible and tangible and you begin to see the benefit of it right it's right it's 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 sort of like your eyes are opening up to your own life and your eyes are seeing the virtue of what you could do for your own existence right and you know right and you know what I really actually do want to say about that too is with the Dalian method I really liked that a, you're walking into, I mean, you don't, you know, you kind of know me, but you don't really know me and I don't really know yeah. you. And it's just really cool how through the guidance, it's not you telling me what to do, but it's just a guided step that you yourself take yourself as far as you are capable of going within that session or exactly. as far as you would like to go within that session. That's what I really like that it, there's no, there was no pressure of this is what you need to be doing. It was all you yourself going through this journey on your own as far as you could go and once Beautiful. again and that's and once again after you leave that work doesn't just stop it, it's not like there was just one session and I think that's why I thought what do you mean Candy? I kind of want to come see you again and play with you again <laughs> next week what do you mean two months what the heck so that's right. I, so I yeah. really really love that and for our community you know it is a really safe space and it's a really non-judgmental space to go through this method and do this because it is based on your own journey as as far as you want to go in that in that time i'm glad it's very very clever as well because the dalian method is scientific in the fact that it will only go as deep as is what keeps you safe so now coming back to brooke's question earlier about control right 
if we're afraid of the unknown, we're feeling unsafe in it. This Dalian method will only go as deep as where you feel safe. And then once an element or a layer has been taken away and released, you'll feel greater safety and greater trust to go deeper. So again, you're not being pushed into the deep end of a swimming pool. You're tipping into the shallow end. And in the shallow end, you're you're progressively taking a, a, a sort of a paddle in the direction you want to go in, but only the way that you want to, that's uniquely correct for your life. Well, that's really awesome. And I'm really, really glad that you brought up, you know, what Elena was, Elena, how she was talking about, um, you know, using certain words and just, um, it's kind of trendy right now to like, be like, oh, I'm mindful, you know, and people think you go do a yoga class, you do a couple of meditations on your app, and you're good. And I feel like there's a mis- <laughs> you know, I feel like there's a misconception in our, our, you know, demographic right now, that is an instant fix. And oh, I found something. But the motivation behind that I find is kind of questionable with certain people like I feel like you know it's very trendy to be mindful and to focus on you but I feel like it gets twisted in a way that it almost plays into narcissism and it also it almost plays into what can I get out of this for myself whereas people aren't really focusing on the fact that you do this work for the greater good and your higher purpose. And it may not look exactly what you want it to look like based on what you've seen. And it may not feel exactly how you want it to feel based on your previous experiences. You have to be open and in the place where you can accept this kind of work to happen in the first place. And I feel like that separates a lot of people because I see things on, you know, I used to, I've been off Instagram for all, you know, a few weeks now. And I used to see on Instagram all these like influencers. It was just so inauthentic to me. And I feel like that's where the danger comes in our society where, you know, you're following people to try and get a deeper view of life and a deeper view of your journey. And you're trying to educate yourself on where you want to go next for your own journey. And there's so many kind of like false idols in that sense as to like, oh, do this and you'll get this or do this and you'll receive this. And it's all very kind of selfish. I guess what I'm trying to say is I feel like you have to be at the place in your life where you're interested in participating in the journey and you're interested in giving that to yourself for your higher purpose. And that is the only reason. Um, You know, I think that ties into our whole conversation of how you can't change your partner. You can't really fix your partner. You can't help your partner. All you can do is focus on the greater good and what you want for your story to look like. And it may not be what you think it is, right? Yeah. And what's happening there, Brooke, in the conversation that you're having there, it's you're articulating it fabulously, right? When it comes to mindfulness right even that word look at it like mind mind and then full yeah really the mind is full of its own bullshit yeah and you can feed it more bullshit you can give it lots and lots of more theories and the mind will now think it now knows so much more and it will start spewing out these words that have nothing to do with actually what you really need to do Mm-hmm. And that is to empty the mind. Mm-hmm. It is to empty the contents of the mind so that you get connected with more of the space that's inside you. And so when Elena was able to say after her first session, I can breathe now, it was like that spaciousness mm-hmm. she felt in her physical body, 
right? That mind cannot understand what that experience feels like mm-hmm. until you've actually had the experience in your body. A hundred percent. So now what will happen is a lot of people will give you the impression that if you are grateful, that suddenly you're going to manifest so much more in your life and it's going to be so much easier in your life. And if you throw these goals out into the universe and then you go off and uh, you keep your focused attention on these goals and all those goals are going to get achieved and blah, 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 all right? Well, I think that's what The Secret kind of did wrong in in mainstream media, you know, 10, 15 years ago when The Secret came out, that book of like, oh, you can get that Ferrari if you want it. You know, you can manifest this. And people just got such a skew idea of what that means exactly because it was not a truth and it was being it was being positioned as the truth but it was not the absolute truth right it was a stepping stone so when the mind wants to to be educated on certain topics it's a very useful place to be for a short while right because now your mind is adjusting and it's going oh okay so it sounds like there's another reality there sounds like there's something more that could happen oh it sounds like that there is more than i know so that's a great start point because it's Mm -hmm. the invitation to then be curious to do the deeper work, to actually then go into your physical body and to be able to make the associations of the theories that you've heard so that they become your own lived realities, so that they become your own lived experiences. And when they become your own lived experiences, there's nothing that can come that can question what you now know because those words you've read in a book or those podcasts that you heard from some so-called official somewhere Mm -hmm. is giving you information that is real in your own reality. There is no denying the more grateful you are, the quality of your life is better. However, if you start trying to be grateful when you're sitting on a pile of (laughs) <laughs> anger, resentment, <Shit>. bitterness, <laughs> pissed offness. Mm-hmm. If you're sitting on a pile of trauma, grief, um, monumental um, dislike for what you're experiencing, conflict, if you're sitting on a pile of that, And then the surface layer is saying, okay, I'm grateful for the lighting and I'm grateful for the air (laughs) and I'm grateful for the room I'm sitting in. Can you see what you're doing is you're putting sort of like an icing on a Mm -hmm. can of, you're putting an icing on a can of worms, right? Mm -hmm. It's like having a cake that's full of a can of worms inside you, but the top layer has this icing. Now, if you imagine that in your head, The cake is full of a can of worms, which you're sleeping with when you go to bed, because the one thing that's absolutely true is no matter what you present to the outside world, you're aware of your own can of worms. You're aware of your own steam blowing up and you're aware of your fury and your upset and your grief, right? And then the outside. And the outside world, you're showing this little piece of sugar coating that's on top, this icing. Now, what that's done is it's added a layer to the can of worms. Can you see physically, if you look at that image, you've gone further away from yourself. If you dive into the can of worms and you go into the can of worms, underneath the can of worms is all the sugar. It's already inside you. Mm -hmm. There's nothing outside of you that you've got to go find. It's all inside you anyways, right? Mm -hmm. But you're going to only access it if you go in 
to the can of worms so that you can see it. And the other analogy that I use often that helps to explain this much easier in a visual is this. The sun is in the sky. It's shining brightly. It doesn't say, okay, I'm going to only give the sun rays to Kindy today. It says it will go to Elena. It will go to Brooke. It will go to all of our audience members here. It will go everywhere, right? Mm -hmm. The sun has no question about its capacity to share all that it has and its brilliance with the entire universe, with the entire planet. Mm -hmm. However, when a cloud comes over the sky and, and uh, many clouds come over and block the sun, does that mean the sun's disappeared? No, it doesn't. It just means that there's these temporary clouds stopping you from experiencing the warmth of the sun. This is what our thoughts and our emotions are like. Mm -hmm. in our body they're temporary clouds preventing you from accessing your own sunshine you don't have to create these, you have to create the sunshine from somewhere else by creating a long list of gratitude things your own sunshine is extremely grateful you've just got to go and find it and the way you're going to do it is by emptying out your mind of its knowledge of its beliefs of its conditionings of its thoughts of its emotions so that you can create the space to see the sun inside you i also think it's really important kind of playing off the control thing that we've been kind of hitting on this entire podcast is it i feel like once you realize and once you get to a place where you've peeled away enough layers where you actually can observe your reactions and observe your tendencies I feel uh -huh. like I and I don't know if you'll agree with this Kindy I would love to know your thoughts on this but I feel like the only thing that you can truly quote control is your responses to things around you and you can kind of choose okay get to a place where okay I'm sitting with this this is happening right now how am I going to choose to respond to this am I going to play into my emotions that I've learned or my my tendencies to yell or my tendencies to be scared or am I going to respond in a way that's completely how I want to be and kind of like retraining yourself in that sense how do you feel about that yeah okay so there's a couple of things I want to raise with that um Brooke because First of all, there is no control that we have over anything, right? So when we even say that we can control our responses, what that's saying is in a moment in time, we have a choice. Mm -hmm. That's basically all it's saying is that in every moment in time, we have a choice, right? Now, the choice typically has already been pre-programmed because the thoughts and the emotions that you have in your body, they're so strong that they will drive your choice mm -hmm. very, very rapidly as if on autopilot. Right. So in that moment when something's happening to you from outside, that autopilot response typically is a reaction, right? So, so, when the conversation arises that says we need to respond to the situation rather than react to the situation. Yes, exactly. The fastest way that I have found that can happen authentically is when the response comes on autopilot too. Mm -hmm. 
Right. Mm, when, the like when the response is coming from inside you on autopilot too. It is your natural, authentic response to the situation. Okay. Now, how do you get to a place where the choice that's being made is arising in an autopilot way so that your behavior is giving you a response. This is where you have removed and detoxified the clouds inside your physical body mm -hmm. so that mm -hmm. the cells at an epigenetic level in your body no longer have the programming that would have got it to react And because that programming that would no longer be there has been erased, your response is now on autopilot. So when Elena was talking earlier about Dan and the way that he's been behaving recently with her, that has come about a new autopilot response to some of the things that he's experiencing mm -hmm. when he's receiving from Elena. That's not, he's not stopping and going, okay, I would normally be angry and right. now I'm going to do this. He's not doing any of that. It is his new natural behavior that is arising, right? And that new natural behavior arose because he did a child session of the Dalian method. And during that session, he saw the damaging impact of some of his old reactions. And because he saw the damaging impact of some of his old reactions, at a cellular level, the epigenetic thread broke. I that love that you say that, Candy, because um, you know what? I, I'll be totally honest with you. Like I, like after I even I noticed the, the shift in some of the, the response the responses and some of the behaviors, I kind of, in the back of my mind, I was like, you know, how long is this actually going to last? <laughs> do you, do you know what I mean? I was like, yeah, yeah, this is great now, but like kind of not saying that I'm trying to, you know, not, I don't know. I do believe that he's capable of it, but I kind of thought, you know, we've been together for eight years. Like, you know, maybe this will last for a week. This is nice right now, but it hasn't, it hasn't changed. It's exactly. still like continues on. So like, You've exactly. definitely made a believer out of me. <laughs> <laughs> And it's, it hasn't changed because the epigenetics changed in his physical body, right? And so what's happened is the growth that happened as a result is, is that the cells change in his body and they're sending his brain a new message. And that new message is now what he's living. Now, what will happen is, now in his case, I asked him to come back after three weeks, right? Mm -hmm. What In his case, what because we did the child session with him, What will happen is a life circumstance can arise where another element of those deep-seated, um, heavier emotions that are in his body may want to ooze out. And this is very, very important. They need to ooze out mm -hmm. so that you can physically see, ah, okay, something's just arisen that now is again another opportunity for me to go deeper to understand what this one is about, right? So mm. when I say that I've been angry, I'm not telling you that I started with the Dalian method 12 years ago and I've never been angry since. Whoa, I'm not saying that to you at all because right. that would be a complete fallacy, right? 
I when I first met with uh, with Madder Eliza Dalian, I was I was absolutely entrenched in grief because of my sister's car accident. And then the relationship that I had with my husband, we had a lot of conflict between us both. So my first session was all about the grief. Right. And ironically, that then woke up my anger. And for a period of time, I got angrier and angrier and angrier, right? Now, when the anger surfaces, that's another place for me to see something's not right. Something's not right. And so I get to learn more about what's driving the anger so that the old topic of why the anger arose completely just evaporates. It just goes into thin air, like quantum physics says that, you know, things can evaporate into nothingness, right? So that old anger just disappears and it's no longer part of who I am. But a new situation can bring up a new anger. And a new anger becomes an opportunity for me to go, okay, there's something else in my psyche that I now want to heal. And I want to remove this so that it's not part of my behavior. When you come to something like the Dalian method, uh, like, uh, and what happens is you have such a fundamental change arise. Mm-hmm. And so Elena and Dan have seen what they would be saying, oh my God, this is a fundamental change that's arisen. Mm-hmm. What will happen is when there's an invitation to say, okay, come back two months time, come back in three weeks time. What that mm-hmm. invitation is saying is that I would like you to, to go through this again, because incidentally, the Dalian method is something that you can actually practice on your own, mm-hmm. independent of a therapist, because once you've learned to use it on your own, independent of a therapist, you are then trained how to use it on an ongoing basis and see the signals for when you need to use it on an ongoing basis, right? Mm-hmm. So when when you have that sense of intelligence that kicks in that says, oh, we've been living like this for 20 years and this was not how we were living. This was not our old reality. And this is fundamentally different. I wonder what more is possible, right? That intelligence is then inviting you to say, okay, I'm in this life right now and I have an opportunity to make this even better. I have an opportunity to make this even easier. I have an opportunity to make the quality of my life something that I didn't even think was possible, right? So what happens is something like a tool like this that you can use in your family. So I use it for myself. I've used it with my children. My youngest was nine years old. She's now 19, right? She was nine years old when she started to undo some of the imprints that she had picked up from her father and I, right? So you think about that reality, starting at nine years old, and then the quality of your life doesn't need to go down the route of a catalyst that has immense suffering like a paralysis because you've started the work earlier so the unconscious inside you is already getting erased sooner right so as a mother 
the excitement for me was, oh, wow. I mean, I'm undoing things that started in my life as an embryo as stuff that started as, you know, a three-year-old, as a seven-year-old, as a nine-year-old, as a 14-year-old. <gasps> I'm going to start this process with these kids now because I don't want them to be encumbered with these type of issues and this type of psyche into their future. Let's start dealing with it now. Mm -hmm. So my son was 12. My daughter was nine. And my eldest waited until she was 17 to start with the work. And so what has transpired is, guess what? They've actually dealt with what they learned negatively when they were at an embryo being carried during my pregnancy. They know why they chose me as a mother. They know what their original reason was for why they even came to my life because there was something happening in my psyche during those nine months with all the four-year gaps that they were all born by that was, that was a direct match to what their soul wanted to learn. And each of them have experienced those learnings already, right? And now my eldest is 27. My middle one is 23. He'll be 24 soon and she's 19, my youngest. So they've been seeing all these things already, Brooke and Elena, right? So for me as a mother, I'm like, oh, wow, you know, if we help the next generation sooner and we help them mm -hmm. with understanding what they're weighed down by from their parental upbringing and from the imprints that they picked up and their childhood experiences that weren't too palatable, etc. if they can be helped now, look at the quality of their leadership and the quality of the world that they will be creating for themselves because then that leadership and that quality is going to have an influence influence on the quality of their children. Uh, this is how the world changes. Mm -hmm. I right? love that. I love that. I love because it. The new, because the new children that are going to be born are going to be born with even fewer of these sabotaging imprints. And they're going to be born even closer to their own nature, right? And so mm -hmm. this is where the world changes. Like today, we're seeing all of the heartache and the upset over racism. You know, I'm a brown-skinned brown -skinned woman, right? And I'm seeing daily on social media literal wars taking place of people being upset with other people because they're claiming that the solutions lie in someone else, mm -hmm. right? When really inherently the solutions lie in us taking responsibility for our own energy and the solutions lie in us raising our own consciousness, the solutions lie in us gaining our own awareness and they come back to what Dr. Dr. Jill Bolte-Taylor discovered when she had her stroke a neuroscientist, she saw that we are absolutely magnificent beings and we've lost touch of that because a peanut-sized voice in the left hemisphere of our brain where our ego resides is taking control. It's running the show and it's only the size of a peanut. And yet the total magnificence of who we are is in the right hemisphere of our brain. And that expansion is being capped by this peanut size voice, mm -hmm. right? So it's about detoxifying that peanut size voice so that we get in touch with the magnificence. 
I love that. It's so powerful. I can't, mm-hmm. I kind of want to ask you like a personal question. Yeah, go ahead. Go uh, ahead. What, you know, there's, if you're into like energy and all that kind of stuff and, you know, reading of like healers and light workers and all that, there's a kind of a common consensus in the energy community that we're moving into, well, the earth is changing. Mm-hmm. Um, the actual magnitude of the earth is changing. And we as oh. humans are going through an actual physical and emotional change as a whole. And all of this stuff that's happening right now is exactly how it's supposed to happen. Exactly. Um, exactly. For, the, for the greater good and for the rise of consciousness in general. And so I kind of wanted to know, what are your thoughts about this, quote, new earth that is being talked about um, in the communities right now? Okay, so I'm going to do this based on a caveat, right? Because up till now, I've shared everything based on my own knowing. Yes. <laughs> right? Yes. So, so now the question that you're asking me is not going to be answered through my own knowing. I have um, been working directly with Madara Eliza Dalian for the last 12 years. She's a mystic. She had her awakening experience when she was 33 years old which basically means in simple terms that she saw she is the universe. It's, it, it basically means that she saw that she's not a fragment of life, that she is life itself. Mm-hmm. Um, and what that did um, for her, Brooke, at that point was it meant that her level of consciousness rose to a very, very heightened space. And it's, a very rare space for us as human beings to reach to, but it is from that very heightened space that she's created the Dalian method, right? So every person that works with the Dalian method is progressively working closer and closer and closer, trying to rise up to what is possible for them too. Mm-hmm. Now, what she is sharing is this. She is sharing that she had a vision And in that vision, there was this huge, huge ball of negative energy, like a massive space of darkness, right? Mm -hmm. And then a tiny, tiny little ball (coughs) standing next to it of light energy. And in this vision, there was this um, sort of like head-to-head happening of what's going to win. Is it the dark that's going to be able to carry on running into the era going forward? Or will this much, much, much smaller light energy be able to tip the balance, right? And so the way that her vision went on was slowly the light energy was becoming a little bit bigger, a little bit bigger, a little bit bigger, still monumentally smaller than the dark energy, but it was getting stronger and bigger, right? Mm -hmm. And so then when it became stronger and bigger, what happened was the light, even though physically it was so much smaller, was in power equal to the negative energy, the dark energy, right? Mm -hmm. So it became to like a neutral space of what is now going to win, even though at the beginning of the vision, it looked like the dark energy was so much more powerful, So this became to like a tipping point of what is going to tip. And at that point in her vision, she saw the light energy physically almost pull out 
a stream of another light energy and it came and joined the white ball and the scale tipped and the scale tipped and that she knew meant that the new era of enlightenment, the age of improvement, the age of dramatic evolution, the, dra- the, the age of harmony and discord is about to unfold. The harmony is going to transpose and transmute the discord, and that's about to unfold. So she's shared that vision with us a few times since because it's a reminder to keep the hopefulness there that everything that is unfolding, particularly right now, um, is a cathartic moment. And what is unfolding right now is a battle between the dark forces and the light forces and that she has helped us to keep our attention into the fact that that battle will get won so that the light forces move forward with enough um, um, enough energy to be able to start changing the way that our lives are for the masses, right? So I, Brooke, am very hopeful. <laughs> um, and I'm hopeful not because I've seen this vision for myself, but I'm hopeful because I trust um, Mada implicitly and and what she's sharing, I have no reason to doubt it. Does that help? Wow. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. That's a very, very cool visual and a very, very beautiful story, uh, Candy. Yeah. Yeah, it's really powerful. And I think um, I, I know myself, I've talked about this before, but the past four months, my husband and I have gone through some stuff that I obviously I won't get into it on this podcast, but just crazy, crazy stuff physically, mentally, emotionally that have a lot to do with the energy of the world and where everything is at right now. And we look back on it and we're just like, wow, we've enjoyed this process so much these past few months. Like it, I feel like we've grown years and years and years beyond what we thought was possible just in the past few months, just from noticing the shift that's going on and the heightened awareness that it's going on and how we feel it in our bodies. And it's changing, it's expediting, everything is getting faster and everything's becoming more intense. Yeah. And especially with the solar eclipse and then this last new, uh, last uh, uh, change that we had with the new moon and then with the Mercury retrograde and all these planets that are actually moving backwards. There's a lot that's shifting really, really rapidly and really, really fast. And it's helping us to um, make the shift that is required. It's a bit like like this sort of stream of white energy being pulled across to the ball so that it shifts the balance, right? So it's like we're being cooked so that we can emerge and enough of us hopefully will emerge so that we get into that um, space that we're being asked and called for to move into. But it isn't going to happen without us being shocked and it doesn't appear to be something that's going to arise without us actually standing in our own individual power. Mm-hmm. It's so really, awesome. really, it's really, really important to understand. It is our individual power that is going to help us to be able to withstand the changes that are arising 
Otherwise, there's a lot of people that will just sink because, Brooke, right now, the statistics for the number of suicides is catastrophic, catastrophic in Mm -hmm. comparison to what was arising before. Right. The number of OD deaths that are happening through drug overuse, et cetera, is catastrophic, far worse than the coronavirus deaths that we've been seeing in B.C. Right. And so there is an individual responsibility that we have that we don't get sunk like dragged in like quicksand into the heaviness of the darkness Mm -hmm. that we are doing our individual work to contribute to that small ball of white light. Yeah. I hear you. Wow. Wow. Candy. You're so knowledgeable. You're always so nice to speak to because you, you know, you, especially with through our SEI, WEGS of SEI community, you know, we can only go as far as a lot of time. We have a lot of medical talk and a lot of time it is about more of the Western medicine. So having you on the show today has been a real treat. Yeah, I really hope so. Yeah. (laughs) And I know that like this information might be a lot for some people that are listening right now, but I feel like it's planting a seed um, yes. and I feel like it's going to plant a seed in a lot of people's minds and it's going to expand perspectives in ways that probably some people listening didn't expect. And I feel like that's kind of the purpose of this podcast is to always try and voice a perspective that might not have been heard or share a story that might not have been heard. I think it's just so important, especially during this time, learning, accepting knowledge, moving forward. That's all we can do. And I Uh, We're so thankful that you devoted this time to us today. And I know that we're going to get a lot of amazing feedback from this podcast. Well, I'm deeply appreciative to both of you. One, uh, because of your willingness to have such an important conversation, because Mm -hmm. not everybody is is prepared to have these conversations. It's true. Um, and I'm just and I'm just so, so thankful to both of you that you are. And secondly, when it comes to the audience, I just want to reassure everybody from a nurturing perspective, because, you know, I'm a mother at heart. Right. Mm-hmm. Is that if some concepts are a little bit difficult to understand, don't be concerned, because the moment will come when they won't be difficult to understand. And this moment will come back to you and you're like, oh, I get that a little bit more. And I'm really ready for it now. Right. And those and those that are ready to understand they are also in this audience and they're also there listening and it is their awareness and their intelligence and their understanding and connection with their real truth inside will that, that will help to motivate them to come forward and go, oh, okay, I want to try this because it feels like there's something mm-hmm. in this that's worth exploring. And so that will automatically get invited anyways in our conversation today. And you girls are going to be putting this into the ether space. It's available yeah. forever. It's available forever for anybody at any point in time. So when people are ready, it'll always be there to touch somebody's heart, right? Amazing. Thank you, Candy. So once again, how could somebody contact you if they would like to have the conversation going and keep moving forward or have any more questions about the Dalian method or Candy and her practice? What is the best way to reach you? Um, the best way would be through um, my cell phone or my website, both of which are actually on my website. The website is kindygill.com. So that's kindy, which is spelled kind with an I. And then, and then gill, G-I-L-L. So it's kindygill.com. And so on there is a little space which says contact me. And you can just put in your email address and, and let me know that you'd like to have a chat, which I'm very happy to do, like a 30-minute complimentary chat. And then if you want to book a session... 
because you've been inspired enough by this conversation and some of the feedback that Elena has given about herself and Dan too. Um, then if you're inspired to actually act and go ahead and book a session, then again, you can just message me through the website or on my cell phone and we can connect and, and make that happen. So whichever way, right? Most of my work that I tend to share is on um, Facebook, not Instagram. I know you girls use Instagram really, really well, but mine is on Facebook under a page called Spark Expansion. Um, and, and so you can have that link as well if you need to. Awesome. Thank Amazing. you. That's so cool. Thank you, yeah. uh, thank you, thank you so much for coming on today. And guys, don't forget, you know, self-care and self-evolution is the best gift that you can give to yourself. So thank you once again for coming on today, Kimby. We love having you. My pleasure. The Advocacy and Outreach Group Wags of SCI is currently a volunteer-based operation. We raise funds year-round to pay for date nights for our couples, essential medical supplies that our members may not be able to afford, mental health support for our Wags, including counseling, and our amazing meetups led by our volunteer ambassadors around the globe. If you feel called to support our mission, please visit our website wagsofsci.com or donate directly to the Wags of SCI GoFundMe page. We thank you for your support to help make this group possible and make a difference in the lives of SCI couples worldwide.